Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Strength to be Human. We have another exciting interview segment. I'm always blessed to have one of these, mainly because it is so hard to schedule people. People have complex and difficult lives, and you know they gotta they gotta fit us in there, or maybe sometimes I gotta fit them in there. But you know it is it is a mutual uh, agreement. So I got a, a wonderful uh, Canadian uh, writer and poet by the name of Michelle Young. Uh, Michelle uh, Young is the author of Your Move. It's a psychological thriller. She has two poetry books out, Salt and, and Light and Without Fear, and her works often uh, uh, dealing with uh, adoption, infertility, and mental health. She has a degree from psychology and communications from the University of Ottawa, and she lives in Canada with her family. Hi, Michelle. Thank you very much for being on the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, You have a really interesting background over there because um, we've done with uh, writers before, and I've done a standalone show about depression. I couldn't avoid the subject as much as I'm not some expert on it because it comes out a lot in, when people talk about writing and some of the things that they have to tackle. So I've learned more about it and I've become a little bit more familiar with it and more comfortable with it. Because at first I'm like, oh man, I don't, we don't want to talk about stuff I don't know about. But even I have to learn things on the show. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm actually happy that you're doing this because now I, I know a lot more. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, there's a little bit more talk about it recently, and I think that's great. There needs to be more talk. Uh, it just takes the stigma out um, and just helps people that may have been dealing with it and struggling um, just to have more resources and, and just ideas on how to have a conversation with someone about it. So I think it's great. Yeah, I was telling, I was telling my wife about that, and, and, and she's always so flippant. Yeah, it's good to have a wife that has more, better humor than you do. And she's like, I didn't know they had depression in Canada. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's only in America? I don't understand that comment. But uh, she literally was like, you know, perplexed by that. I'm like, uh, uh -huh. yeah, it's in Canada too, okay? <laughs> <laughs> they have they have Coke products there as well, okay? <laughs> yeah, for me personally, I've been uh, struggling with depression for about 15 years. Um, and then I was looking for, you know, for any type of resources or how to help myself um, through the process on some of the worst times in the last couple of years. Um, and there's all these, you know, natural ways to do it with, uh, you know, like essential oils or walking, um, exercise, sleeping, even your diet, all that. Um, but really for me, it's been writing that's been the most helpful um, just to get my thoughts down and being able to share that with other people and figuring out that I'm not uh, like dealing with this by myself. There's a lot of people dealing with this. I found that to be very helpful. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, agree. Mainly because, mainly because, if you think about it, it's gonna be there, and if you don't figure out ways to. Did I uh, the, the nature of, of depression 
and and how um, that was something that you had experienced. You were trying to find some resources for it, and, and uh, you know, to be able to you know to move on with your life, because mm-hmm. I can imagine that if you've had it for like 15 years, like you were saying, that you know that probably crisscrossed into uh, college and marriage and children and all that as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, I feel like uh, there was a period of my life where it wasn't uh, pronouncing itself as strongly, and I kind of let it kind of drift away, but it was always there in the back of my mind. Um, you know, it's not something you can control. It just kind of hits at different times in your life. And um, early on in my marriage, um, we discovered that we couldn't have any children naturally. Um, so then I, I went into a, kind of a, a dark period is what I call it, um, where the depression kind of came back full force. And uh you know, I had to make some cho- some choices, and I had to. I really wanted to um, to make sure that this part of my life was kind of healed up before I became a mother. Um, so I worked really hard on trying to examine the parts of my life that needed the most healing, and that's kind of where uh, my book Salt and Light started to take form. Um, I knew that writing was a way that I dealt with a lot of these feelings and. Um, I had to work through some stuff from my past and I just started writing and, uh, the book was kind of put on hold, um, when my daughter came, uh, into my life and, uh, and then I finally finished it, um, around the time where she was a year old. Um, so that was really cool to be able to share that with her. Um, and she knows all about, you know, what I do and that these books are, in a way for her and um, just kind of my my gift to her for when she grows up, she can see that, you know, I went through these things um, and there was a lot of uh, hoping and, um, you know, praying for her and uh, just to see how much she was wanted um, because we actually, we adopted um, our daughter. So uh, it wasn't, you know, the, the easiest uh, journey, but uh, definitely the the like super worth it. And, and I, I certainly uh, agree. It, it's such a, a large step forward and, and such a you know a, a big a big investment in your life to to, to want to go out there and, and, and adopt. I mean, we had um, my wife and I um, had such an issue with uh, having the first child that we were actually in the stages of adoption. When she finally oh. got, finally got pregnant, it took us six years to get pregnant, and we didn't do anything special. We followed everything they told us to follow, but they couldn't find anything. And I'm like, really? If you can't find anything, and you're saying we're normal, why don't we have a child at this point? Mm-hmm. And, and my my uh, my uh, wife was uh, fortunate enough to work for a company that actually has a, a matching program to where if you adopt, they'll match half of it and actually pay it out of the company funds to help you with the expenses of the adoption. Wow. So it was something that we were even taking more seriously now because it's like, wow, uh, not only can we explore this, but we have something that can you know really help with the with the cost of it because it's it's not a cheap thing. I don't know how expensive or cheap it is in Canada, but I know in America it's not something to play around with. You you really got to be committed because you know it, it's like buying a house or something practically, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and we owned a house already, so I wasn't trying to own two of them, you know. But, uh, <laughs> But uh, we we uh, we were found we were fortunate to figure out what what had what had occurred with with her with her system, 
and 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 and, and get it and get it done, uh, and and then also we'll be able to be more prepared for the next one, three years <laughs> later, and 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 that worked out, and you know we were happy to have the the, the two children, but um, I'm sure part of it is because we're older people. We had we had our children much much later in life. I mean, I'm in my 50s, and I have kids that are in elementary school, so oh. yeah, we had we had them much later, but uh, nevertheless. Um, it, it is it is a daunting experience, and, and oftentimes uh, I know for her, you know, it, it shadowed over many other things in your life because it's kind of hard to, you know, to let go of uh, of, of that dream of, of having a child, no matter where it comes from. At, at that point. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think I was 23 uh, when they, you know, told us about infertility. I'd never heard of it before, um, so it was kind of a shock for me. Um, and I remember just walking into a bookstore, just trying to find something about infertility. And um, I asked for help and they didn't have any books there um, on it. And I remember just going home, feeling even more confused, more lost. And that's kind of when I decided that, you know, I needed to, to share my experience um, with others because I was certainly wasn't the only one going through this. Um, and so I thought, well, if there's no books out there, I'll just write one. And that's that's how all that came together. And um, there's uh, the Salt and Light book has a lot about um, the infertility journey and um, our adoption hopes, uh, mostly. That's That was the book number one for that journey, basically. And, um, and then I wrote uh, Without Fear later on. Um, it was more a testimony to my daughter and her her personality and um, the healing that happened um, since becoming a mother and just how I healed. Um, I'm still dealing with depression every day, but I feel like I've learned some tools um, that have helped me a lot more along the way um, and just speaking up about it to family um, and friends have has been incredible for support and for um just feeling more you know open to talking about it it's becoming more um apparent in people's lives that they have a family member or two that that might be dealing with this on on some sort of a level so it's good that more people are talking about it because it lets other folks feel the freedom you know, to also have a discussion. And, and oftentimes that discussion really helps the person with depression out, I, I've found, because in, in a way, it lets them get out of a closet that they were in for a while. And, and it's never a good thing to be in this closet because to hide something because you're afraid that other people are going to look down on you is not a way to live. So it's no. good to see that more of that's out there because I think it, it frees a lot of people and maybe it helps, and in its own way gives them a, a tool to tackle it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's one of those diseases that it's invisible, so it's like that much harder to to get people to notice it or to offer to help. And often enough, they don't know how to help because it's so complex and it varies from one person to another how it impacts them. But there's a lot of uh, psychological effects and there's a lot of uh, physical things that happen too that you wouldn't think. Um, but I, like I, 
suffered from like insomnia for eight months uh, a couple years ago and uh, you know just migraines every day and stuff like that that you wouldn't necessarily associate with it but um, it uh, definitely produces itself in different ways for different people Um, but talking about it is one of the ways that takes some of the you know, the effects out of it, I find for myself anyway, just having that, that outlet, um, in writing or speaking, um, to just kind of release it out there. And it's, it's not something I'm holding in anymore. And people know about it. It's not this big secret thing. Um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, it's just part of my story. It's part of who I am. Um, and I think it was difficult for people to, you know, to understand it at first when I started talking about it, because, you know, I have a, an amazing life. I've got a loving husband. I've got a daughter, uh, you know, great house, all this stuff, like all this stuff you'd want in a checklist for a great life. Uh, you know, I had a great job. Um, I, I had a really good childhood too. And it just, um, for some people they needed like a reason, like why, like it doesn't make sense that you're depressed and you have this great life, but um, it's unfortunately not and because anything you're doing, right or wrong, it just happens and it can happen to anyone at any time. It's not necessarily because of one particular event um, or, you know, sometimes it could be triggered by something, but um, it can literally happen at any time. That's what I've noticed through my life. Well, it definitely makes sense, and and uh, I I tell you that uh, I think that oftentimes uh, the stigma that's still out there. I mean, it's getting lesser, but it's still out there, and I think it's created because people have they have a misconception about what it's about, and and they also they also feel because of TV programs and movies and stuff that they're trying to find a hook for something. That it, they always have that. Well, maybe it's because uh, you know you were beaten up as a child, or, or maybe uh, you know you had a car accident and it messed your head up or something. People they look for things because it's their own strange way of trying to grapple with what you're dealing with, without mm-hmm. really understanding that a lot of times, you know, it, it's something that possibly could be uh, biological or, or genetic, and it's not necessarily the, the trauma of an event on the outside. It could just simply be this is the way this person is born and now they got to figure out some way to you know to get through life without a whole bunch of uh, people being jerks even if they mean well they could be jerks about it and that, i think that's one of the things that you're encountering is that folks they, they they try to find even if they think it's a positive stereotype some way to make a connection or for them to somehow understand rather this you know hey this is how she is and uh, we'll you know we'll do our best to be helpful i wish people to say that versus you know I think it's because she got beat up, you know. <laughs> yeah, people always need an answer. Yeah, they, uh, but usually it's a silly, a dramatic a Hollywood answer, which is, is never really helpful, you know. Yeah, exactly. And people get uncomfortable around you. Like I've noticed people literally backing away from me when I start opening about it. And it's it's kind of funny because it's like I'm not going to give it to you. It's not like I'm contagious it's it's just something i'm i'm struggling with and you know talking about it helps and but you have to pick and choose people that you trust um to talk to about it because there are people that judge and there's people that don't understand and will say hurtful things um just 
basically, like basically because they don't have the education around it. And I think that's part, uh, partly why I wanted to write these books because, um, going through it, I, I knew like I have this perspective that a lot of people, um, might not have. And I've always had a, a love of words. And I thought, well, this is an easy way for me to share my personal experience. And I'm sure other people will be able to relate. And that's what I've noticed over the last few years um, at book signings and whatnot. Um, anytime I I talk about the books with someone, um, I, I'm always kind of expecting a certain, you know, age group or, you know, um, to come to the table and just you know, poetry being so popular re- recently with Rupi Kaur, Amanda Lovelace, um, those authors have have done very well. Um, and my poetry has been, you know, compared to their style a little bit with the, the short form poems and all that. And I just thought, well, maybe, um, you know, people in their 20s will connect with this a bit more. But it's been um, interesting to see, like, one of my first book signings, um, there was a man, I think he was around 70 years old, who came to the table in tears, um, just opening up about his own struggles that he's never been able to share with anybody. And that just broke my heart. It was just, you know, where were the resources for him through his life? He had nothing. He couldn't share this with family, with loved ones. And finally, he found, you know, me in this in this store selling this book um i couldn't believe it that you know this was going to help him and i was just really convinced that i had to share this book with more people well i i definitely think it, it, it's important mainly because why why do we want to live in a society that that that's simply casting people aside even if it's doing it accidentally even if it's doing it because it's ignorant you know without, without trying to do something to, to correct that or, or try to add to that because i find and you're probably a very good example of that plenty of people who are dealing with this uh that are that are productive that lead what anyone would call a normal life and maybe they might suffer behind the scenes and obviously uh, we, we all should be looking to see whatever else we can do but for, for the most part it didn't look like it was harming them or harming anybody else so why be afraid and why you know cast a judgment or, or why just be mean when it's just not necessary it's enough of a struggle without other people adding more to it Mm-hmm. I never saw depression being like a weakness in my life. It's always like kind of given me a push. Um, it's It's been challenging, um, but I feel like it's made me stronger um, over the years and more determined to reach certain goals. Um, I find that with every obstacle I've faced, um, you know, I, I had an abusive relationship when I was younger and um, it just pushed me to, uh, you know, find meaningful relationships uh, and just better ones um, over the years. And I feel like I've achieved that and I'm very lucky and blessed to have an amazing husband now. And, you know, I, I have a learning disability as well. And I was told um, that I would never 
graduate from university, I would never write, um, you know, at a level that uh, would exceed the, uh, like a 14 year old uh, writing. So then all these things, you know, kind of pushed me along and just made me not angry, but it, it kind of made me like, okay, you think I can't do this? Well, let me show you wrong. And it's kind of been uh, a motivator throughout my life in all these areas. I really think that, and thank you for sharing that, because that's not an easy thing to share. But I, I think the hallmark of, of writers is often that whole, re, you know, that whole calling of, I'm gonna show you something different because you're saying I'm this and I'm really that. It seems to come across uh, many writers in, in the stories of their life, uh, even the ones that don't deal with depression, because many of them had to come from all kinds of different backgrounds where. You know, the arts and, and the literary are, are not considered something legitimate. They're considered like something for a rich person or something for a, some Hollywood person that's on drugs or something. Something that's not that's not really important to people's lives when when it when it is. And a lot of people have come uh, from those places where they, you know, they had to simply fight just to be able to be uh, to be noticed or, or even to, to to gain the respect that they should have automatically been given. Mm -hmm. I uh, I was listening to one of your previous shows about, you know, publishing, and I could relate to that so much because as an indie author, um, I've had to overcome quite a bit just to get my book out there and noticed and uh, into the stores. Um, but I believed in it so much that, you know, it's you're the only one that's going to be marketing your work. Um, so I would physically go to the stores and talk to the managers and uh, share my story and um, get invited for book signings and um, I've had to research a lot like so many hours that nobody knows about um, you know long into the morning sometimes where I'm writing or um, researching about publishing um, you know market trends all these things that I never thought I would be doing but um, I actually love it because it's it's just part of this um, of this new role, new, new career. Um, just the, I just love every aspect of it. Um, I've even done my own, uh, cover designs, um, just because I'm a stay at home mom, you know, we, we only have one income here and, um, I always try to save wherever I can. Um, and that's a funny thing that people always assume if you're self published, you must be rich. <laughs> you know, I've been told that many times. Um, but for Salt and Light, I think I've, you know, I kept the cost to pr um, to print the book under ten dollars um, because I did everything myself, and it took me a long time. But I knew I could do it. Just you know, um, just YouTube videos are amazingly helpful, and just taking the time and thinking about different ways to get there. Um, there's definitely options, and uh, I spent probably like 50 hours on the cover for my thriller. Um, but I don't count that as wasted time because I enjoyed every second of it. Um, just discovering new skills and knowing that I was saving hundreds of dollars was very motivating. Um, and I think it looks great and it's original because it's my own work now. And, uh, you know, it just kind of puts my own stamp on, on my work from, front to back which is great 
And I love here. I love hearing stories like that. I, I really do, because it's it's what the show is about in many ways. And I, I try to have a number of episodes that, that sort of cover this. And I get a lot of good compliments and a lot, a lot of people that are, are saying this has been useful, this is instructive. But you wouldn't believe how many negative comments I get. Why are you so negative, Mark? Why are you making writing hard for people? Why are you not being uh, inspirational? And I'm like, listen, I, I, I can be inspirational all I want, but there's a point where inspiration hits truth. And if you're not talking the truth, you're not really being inspirational anymore. You're just lying to people. You, you shouldn't mislead people to say that this is an easy task. It's not. It requires work ethic. It requires management and, and, and organization. It requires marketing. It requires you go out there and, and, and figure out how to get it done. And even you have to be creative about that even. All of these things are requirements. And, and if you don't want to do those things, then write the book, send it out, wait a couple of years, literally for someone to give you an answer that's going to be no for the more times than not. And, and, and what is that going to do for your life? How, how many times can you be told no and you wait literally six months a year just to be told that? There's all that time you could have been doing something else to learn about your craft, to learn about marketing, to learn about doing things. So mm -hmm. I, I don't understand the, these kind of comments. It's more of an American thing, unfortunately, than it is other places because – it seems like other places have understood that you have to have a work ethic if you want to get something achieved, especially if you're looking to get your dream out there. But mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, I, I have a culture in this country uh, of mine in America where um, folks, uh, they just think everything's going to get done overnight. They think everything's going to be done by magic. You're going to hit some lottery. You're going to send something in, and you're going to live in the basement of your mom and then get checks from now on. I mean, it's a, it's a strange fantasy, but it has nothing to do with reality. And I don't want to have a show where I'm just telling people lies. They need to know what's going on, and if it's hurtful or if it's it's less than they want to hear, I'm, you know, I can't even apologize because the truth is the truth. This is what's going on out there. And you can still be successful. You can still do all the things that you want. You're just going to have to do a little bit more work. That's right. Yeah, I don't know how many times people, with the first book I published, they were like, oh, I didn't know it was that easy. And I, you know, I just kind of laugh along with them because – what, I can't blame them. They only see the published results, and they don't know how much time went into it, how much work. Um, but the funny part for me is the whole time I was writing Salt and Light, my first book, um, I didn't have Internet at home. Uh, we live pretty far in the country, and I had no access to any Internet. And being a stay-at-home mom, I was home you know, every day and I had to be home every time my daughter, um, went down for her nap. And, you know, I was kind of counting how many hours a day I could be productive doing something to, um, to get closer to my dream of writing a book one day. And I just started noticing, you know, I have a good chunk of time here that I can use, um, to further my, my goal. And, so that became my writing time because by the end of the day, I was completely burnt and tired. But in the afternoon, you know, I had a three hour window where I could get down and, and write. And uh, for my novel, it was the same idea um, in the what it turned into the evenings at that time because the naps were done by then. But um, I would commit to, you know, writing a thousand words a day. And before I knew it, my novel was written and. Um, that's kind of what I, I like to tell people is, yeah, I wrote a book and I actually believe that anyone can do that. Um, if you want it enough, if you keep working at it and some people will write, you know, eight hours straight, um, 
that just wasn't possible for me. Um, I, I like to do it in small increments and seeing it progress. Um, it was slow, definitely slow. And I had to stay motivated and, and keep at it every day to not lose my train of thought and keep all these notes and, um, you know, at, at hand every time I was writing. Um, but you know, a thousand words at a time, the book got done and that's kind of how I've been doing it, um, as a working mom. Um, and so I always tell people it's, it's, you just pick a goal and you stick to it. And the only person that can keep you accountable is yourself. If you don't, if you don't keep writing, no one's going to write for you. If you want to have your book finished and published, you're going to have to do it. It really is that simple, but unbelievably enough, people still make it more complex than it has to be. And I really think they do that because, uh, especially here in America, people are always looking for a shortcut. You know, we mm-hmm. have we have like a ten billion dollar diet industry, and, and like ten billion dollars of it is wasted because it's all based on lies and things that are not scientific and just idiotic things. Stand on your head, eat a grapefruit. Pray to Buddha, and you're going to lose 10 pounds next week. It's just ridiculous. Mm. And why is that? Because folks would rather not listen to the truth. If you restrict your calories and you do a little bit of exercise every day, you're going to eventually lose a bunch of weight. It's going to take a little bit of time, and you got to be consistent, but that's how you lose weight. You lose weight in many ways the same way you gain weight, just to, just to do the opposite. Instead of eating junk, now you eat something better. Instead of sitting on the couch all day, now you're out there running and doing stuff. It's really that simple. You don't really need to do too much more than that. But if folks are like, no, that's just, no, I got I, I got this new diet where I go on the beach and I look at the whale and then magically I lose six pounds. And it's the same thing with writing. Uh, folks don't realize that it, it is a job in, in a way and, and it, it is work. And it, as much as it might be, uh, I find it enjoyable, um, you still have to stick with it in order to get anything done. And then you still have to make sure that it's out there in the world and people know about it. And if you don't do that or you're not willing to do that, there's no, there's no real point proceeding uh, because you really are going to waste your, your time and maybe the time of others as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. I found that the work ethic of a person is in direct relationship to how successful they're ultimately going to become as a writer. So you have all types. You got some folks that it's a fad, you know, when it gets hard, they give it up and they go to astrology or something. And then you got some other folks that, you know, they really are committed and they have a strong work ethic. They just need to adjust their, their, their expectations of what they expect. You know, you know, mm-hmm. if, if they think they're going to become aggregate history tomorrow, it's it's. It's just not really useful to have that kind of thought, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you, yeah, have, you got other folks that like 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 yourself that you had a plan and you stuck with your plan. Mm-hmm. I think you just have to want it enough and and not give up. It's it's easy to give up in a way, um, or to get distracted, I guess, um, because there's always things you want to try, to, different things taking your attention away. Um, and, and that's okay, you know, if you have to step away from it, you know, for whatever reason, um, as long as you come back to it and stick to it in the end. Um, you know, there's a lot of times I wanted to give up on my novel. It took two years um, to actually publish it. Um, it took me three months to write it, and then it sat there. And I got um, 
some better readers to read it and I had to wait and you know I got far away from it at one point I started writing another book and coming back to it it was it was hard to get back into it and and fix certain things and um you know it was getting discouraged just how long it was taking I, I didn't realize it would take this long to do but it's uh it's an amazing achievement to have it done now and you know to hold it in my hands and it's actually kind of addicting now just I can't wait to do the next one um now I know what I'm getting into I kind of know a process that works for me mm -hmm. I don't think it'll take that long um I'm actually done writing the next one I just have to uh do all the edits which takes quite a bit of time when you do uh you know one to two hours a night on it um I do have to devote a lot of time to this um, to make it the way I want it to look um and you know, just to give you an example for your move, um, it was done months ago, um, but I was really picky about the spine and um, because I did my own cover, it was only me that could fix it. I couldn't just contact my graphic designer and say, can you just, you know, align the spine a certain way? I had to figure it out. And um, and I had issues with, you know, blurry and pixel pictures and all this. And I had so many things. The color was wrong. And I, I just wanted to fix it to what I had imagined it would look like. And um, I think I ordered like three or four proofs before I, I said, okay, this is it. This is what I wanted it to look like. Finally, it looks it looks perfect. So, And I know that it's never going to be, you know, 100% perfect. There's probably... Um, a couple of mistakes in there that I missed, no matter how many times I went through it. Oh, it's, a, it's an endless struggle, believe me. It is, yeah. Yeah, I think I did 20 passes on it, and, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll find things. And at a certain point, you just have to stop and just say, okay, this is, you know, I worked hard on this. This is the best I can do. Um, and, you know, my thought is if, if there's big problems, I can always reprint it in a year at the anniversary or something um and just fix all those problems i'm not i'm not saying it's it's gonna stay this way but i, I brought it to the best that i could um and i'm sure the next book i'll learn more as i go on and um i think uh, that's the beauty of it you keep learning and that's always fun for me it is and and, and by learning you're going to improve and by improving it often means that your your confidence has gotten to the point right now where, you know, you have a plan, you have a process, you, you get things done in a more expeditious fashion. You're also going to find out that after a couple of projects, your editing and the amount of editing that you're going to need is going to actually reduce just because you've gotten better at it. I mean, there's no such thing as zero editing, but there is, after a couple of books, a, 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 real, a real curve on, on how the book just simply comes out better and whoever is helping you edit will, will notice that as well they'll see the improvement and they will they'll have to do less work I, I made an accidental joke with, with, with a friend one time who's a writer who also deals with depression I said listen you, you probably could say get somebody on the outside to do this even if you got to give them a couple of dollars because uh, editing is depressing I mean so if you really have depression this might not be a good idea for you okay and he laughed about it, but he said, you know, that you could be right. I'm like, trust me, I, 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 it's rough because no matter how many times you look at it, you'll find something else. And, and I'm even worse than most people because I'm not just proofreading it. I'm like, you know, I could have did that differently. And the next thing you know, I'm like halfway rewriting the book because I get that yeah. ridiculous. So there's a point where you got to step away 
for your own sake uh, of art, if not sanity, and say, let somebody else mess with it for a little while. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you can rewrite it all the time, and that's the thing. You can look back on it two years later and think, oh, I could have developed that character more or, you know, added more description here. But um, I started, when I was in the editing phase, I noticed I was adding stuff and then I was contradicting certain aspects and I was getting all mixed up. And then I thought, you know what, like enough's enough. I'm, the story is where it is and, you know, I'll, I'll learn this for the next book and I'll keep improving every single time, um, hopefully. And, uh, just keep bettering uh, my writing, and then, uh, you know, it's funny now that I'm writing the second a second novel. Um, I'm noticing my writing styles changed a lot, and I'm uh, implementing all the the edit, um, you know, the the edits that were recommended to me. I'm I'm putting them in in the first pass, which is going to be very helpful, I think, when it comes to. Uh, submitting it to the editor it'll already be at that stage uh a, a lot better product um right for them to work with that's that's pretty much the natural way of how it actually works improvement really means that it's not a hallmark word to make someone feel better it means it actually has improved and, mm -hmm. and anyone who's helping you they're going to notice right away they're going to notice because they're doing less work they're going to notice because they are struggling less to to make this thing what you want it to be and that's actually a good sign that you're on the right road and that you're progressing and that you're, and you're becoming an even better writer. And that's what I find to be exciting, that people can do that. Because when they do that and they stick with that, you know, it means that they have, they have years ahead of them where who knows what's going to come out of them. But whatever's going to come out with them, it's going to be something that, that's going to be worth being out there. It's going to be something that's valid and, and, and instructive and maybe hopefully in a way inspirational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with the first novel, you know, you're so excited to have your family and friends read it. And, you you know, you think you've done so many passes, you're good to go and you send it and then you realize, oh, I forgot to put page numbers on this. So when they have comments or like, oh, you know, page 400 has a spelling mistake you're just like which one's that <laughs> and uh, i i learned that the hard way unfortunately and uh so just little things like that and just realizing that it might not be good to share your ideas or your work before you're done formulating it in your own mind because people have opinions and people want to put their their twist on it and you know if you listen to everybody else you'll just talk yourself out of it or it'll just become this this big thing that you don't even know where it started in the first place. You get confused and lost. And so for this second book, I, I've pretty much kept it close to my to me because um, I just, this one was a little bit more complicated um, in the storyline. And I, I really had to take a lot of time just to think about it and dissect it to, um, to understand how to put it down on paper. Um, because in my head it's playing like a movie and I just, I can see it very clearly, but to go and write it, uh, in a way that everyone else will follow along, um, and not get lost. Um, it, it takes a different kind of approach. Uh, I, I like that. And I find that, uh, a lot of what you have to say is, is becoming 
more and more of a, of a common experience for those that are, are really taking this to heart and, and going out there and, and making it a, a mission. It's a priority. They want to do it now, and, and this is what they're doing. So it, it, you'll, you'll find, if you talk to other writers, you're going to have some similar experiences because the road isn't all that different. It, it might be different internally to you and how you're handling it, but it, from the outside, it's, it's pretty much the same type of you know, plan and, and, and road of what you need to do, and, and people uh, adapt to it better than others. Yes, absolutely. I, I've been very blessed to find uh, an amazing community of writers, um, and I'm actually a weekly contributor to um, um, the Writing Champions Project. On uh, it's on Instagram and Facebook. Um, they it's basically a group of writers uh, that help other writers in their work, and we just have discussions and. Um, you know, every one of us has a, a day that we write an article to help or to share our own experience. And it's been extremely helpful um, to me, uh, just different tips, different skills. Um, you know, I saw things on there that I never even thought of. And I've been applying in my writing, um, you know, like creating a, a house plan because you get lost in your story about where the characters are moving and well that room doesn't connect to this room and um so just having stuff like that has been very helpful to me and my stories um and i've noticed a lot of the struggles i was having was uh shared by a lot of other writers and and just having that uh knowing that others are going through the same thing is is helpful and you can all joke about it and um help each other out well, I definitely think that makes a, 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 a real good point that people need to, to be able to hear is, is to have to have a plan, not only a, a plan to publish or a plan to write, but also a plan inside the plan so this way you can keep track of what's going on uh, in your story and that you don't actually run into problems where somebody is reading the book uh, as an editor and they're saying, wow, do they not know that this doesn't make any sense? This is a plot point that that's 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 damaging, and, and it can happen because folks haven't really paid attention. They really haven't had a, a, a clear way to to see what they needed to do. I remember reading about Octavia Butler, and I did a story uh, about her here on, on the episode of, about her, her writing and a bit about her life, and she. Uh, is one of the few uh, female science fiction writers out there and and one of the only black ones and she had a she had a plan where she wrote a book one time where she refused to use gender on this alien planet so she never made any comment to anybody's gender at all don't matter what the character was they didn't have a gender and to do that though she had to put like little little notes to herself on the wall where she was writing at so this way it would help her understand the character that she was writing about because once you don't have a gender you can't say it's the green dude with a space gun uh, versus <laughs> the you know the blue girl you know with, with, with the with the with the cottage uh, you know uh, carriage over there so she she did that because she she confessed in her own funny way that you know I'm trying to write a book that's less about sexism more just about the characters but I'm also finding that gender can be really helpful. And now I, I got no choice but to kind of create a new way to track these guys and girls and track these characters, you know, and, and do it so this way I don't mess up the story or I don't, I'm not over here rewriting it for six months. 
So she yeah. wound up having to have a plan within the plan to do something like that. And ironically, she said, I'm never doing this again. Uh, I'll figure out a new way, a new way to address sexism that doesn't include me losing my mind, you know. But that's what she had to do for that book, and uh, she said it really taught her a, a lesson about some things she thought uh, cavalierly about with, with regards to sexism. That you know, if there was no gender, somehow everything solved. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately it's, it's it's about as silly idea as saying there's there's no races, we're all gonna love each other. It's a lot more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's so many ways about it, and you can get so lost in the the characters. You know, you have 20 characters in a book, and you you start to mix all their characteristics, blend them into each other. Um, I I personally just have like a PowerPoint uh, storyboard with images I've pulled uh, from the internet just to keep track of what the the characters look like and little bullet points of who they are, what their jobs are, personalities, um, you know, even an age, uh, where they live, stuff like that. I, I try to have as much detail as I can on somebody. Um, usually for a book, I'll, I'll spend one month just researching areas, um, even like plants, um, if it's relevant to the story. Uh you know, different careers, just so I, I have the right wording um, when I discuss it. And so it, it just adds the credibility um, because I can I can take some of my own experiences and put it into the writing. But there's times where, you know, I want the characters to have a certain career I, I know nothing about. And um, just because I don't know about it doesn't mean I can't learn. Um, and if I know somebody, I'll talk to them about it and ask questions um, like for for your move, I actually sat down with two uh, police officers and asked them all sorts of questions about their jobs and about the law and just so I make sure to get it right for my book um, and as much as possible. And I'm sure I, I still did some mistakes because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not uh, very well versed in that, but uh, they definitely helped me a lot. And I try to do that for every story just to, you know, so people can relate to it. Um, and and know what I'm talking about. Well, from my experience, the best writers are, are the ones that that really try to do some research. That they try to do everything they can to to get it right, and not just in, in the message or the presentation, but also in the lives of the characters. So this way, you know, it will have a deeper connection with the with the reader, and maybe you know from that connection they're going to want to wait around for your next project all right i can't wait for michelle to do this because uh, you've done that research and the extra mile as they say to me should all be should be standard when you especially when you're putting together a novel and they can be very complex you know uh, items out there for people sometimes people can say i don't know i like a non-fiction book because at least i don't have to go around memorizing 29 different people but i think oftentimes a novel with a lot of characters is good for people because uh, they shouldn't take so short with the book. Maybe it's something they should be around for a couple of weeks or a month to read so they can absorb everything and, you know, learn uh, new facts or, or new worlds or, you know, new cultures or just something that's different from their own lives because that's really what people are supposed to be doing when, when they write. They, they're trying to take, you know, the readers someplace that maybe they haven't been to before. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the fun part. You just escape into a different world. And um, so much so that some of the scenes in the stories I've written, um, I personally have never experienced. I can imagine it. But um, I just wanted to take it one step further. You know, you can only do so much research and so much um, video watching to get an idea of what a character might be experiencing. I've, I've actually acted out a bunch of the scenes myself just to see, you know, if someone's uh, in a struggle, like how, the, how would they fall? How, like, what would they hit? Um, I've even, uh, the, the book I'm working on right now, um, one of the characters ends up in the forest at night, uh, bare feet. And I actually walked in the forest uh, barefoot just to see like what it felt like. And, uh, you know, was that cold? And, and just these little details are going to add that much more uh, credibility to the story. And I think uh, for me, it's a lot of fun. I get to kind of live it out and, uh, and see if it even makes sense to write it a certain way. Um, but hopefully it, it all helps um, the story make more sense. Yeah, I like I like hearing that. I love hearing all the different minutiae of what people do. To me, it, it's a form of ritual. I did a show called The Ritual of Writing, and people and we talked a little bit about all the different things people do to get ready or, or, or what they do to organize and whatever, just to get them to do something interesting. So that sort of thing, I haven't really heard as, as much about that, uh, where you're actually acting out things or you're actually going out into the forest to see how it is and maybe that has an impact on, on how you view the character or what they were going through and maybe that will inform you to have better dialogue or more insight into them and I think that's great I mean I, thankfully that's not something I want to do because uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to be out the forest with all these crazy animals at night I really don't you know? <laughs> I, I, got, yeah. I got enough snakes on my property as it is I, I already killed four this year and I'm still waiting for a couple more to come out oh my yeah it's ridiculous but um, I think it says a lot to a reader, especially if they're listening to the show right now, you know, about, yeah, you know, I want to check out what this lady's doing because uh, she's willing to go and, and, and explore all kinds of things to make sure that what I'm get, what I'm reading on this end, you know, is going to have some, some impact and it's going to make some, some sense. So I, to me, it makes a, a lot of sense what you're doing. Um, I wish more people would have that kind of a, uh, you know, passion about just trying to do something interesting rather than just sort of doing the, the normal formula. But uh, these days, uh, sometimes just for a writer to, um, you know, produce something, you know, they often feel like uh, at least at first they have to take a safe road until they, you know, feel like they're more comfortable and confident enough to do something a little bit more, you know, off the beaten track. But uh, I always tell people writing is risk anyway. Everything mm -hmm. you're doing is an investment. You don't know. It's an act of faith. I mean, I, I've, I've had writers who are atheists telling me, I'm starting to believe in God because this is so difficult. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're, you're acting in faith here. I know you don't believe in God, but right now, if you're believing in yourself and you're believing in your writing, in a way, you're, you're the God in that universe. So you would have started believing. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Just to keep going and, and believe in what you're doing. Um yeah, absolutely. It's it's it, you're the only one who sees the whole picture, um, and it, it can be hard to get everyone else on board. But if you just keep at it, um, you know. Now that I've got the book, it's like proof. You know, I this is what I was talking about. I can I have something uh, physical to show people that 
um, the story that's been in my head for the last two years. Um, because the way the stories come, it's unpredictable sometimes. Sometimes you see the whole story. Sometimes you see like a snippet and then you, you just start asking questions like, well, who is this character? Why, why are they in the situation? What happened? Where are they going? Um, and when you start answering all of that, you, you realize, well, there's a story here. And, you know, it's tempting to to use the, the easy way or the cliches, um, but every time I I leaned that way or, you know, started drafting it that way, it was just, it took, an, you know, a whole other direction and to a point where I had to stop writing at one point and I said, I don't think anyone's going to want to read this. This is this is dark. You know, this is uh, doesn't even like sound like me anymore. But I think that's what happens um, when you get into the character. You just kind of, you know, become them in a way um, and just really see the world through their eyes and based on um, the lives that, you know, you gave them um, and uh, what they experienced in their in their life has shaped them to be. Um, and they, they kind of take a life of their own. And it's it's really, really neat to see where the book ends up in the end. Even though you thought you might have known what the end would look like um, when you're getting through the, the book and you're coming to the end and you're like, oh, I never thought that this would happen. And here I am. And it's even better than I thought. Um, so that's really exciting part. And I, I love hearing that because I've heard it a, a few times. Somebody called it the logic of the characters, and other people just simply said that the characters became alive to the point that they helped you point to the direction that you're supposed to have gone. O- almost like you created a world that's now starting to work, and now you got to follow it rather rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that I think there's some truth in that. I mean, I know it sounds strange, but I, I think there is some truth in that in the sense that. If the characters developed enough, and, and a number of them are, and they're interacting, there's going to be certain things that that need to happen that you might have thought, you know, three months ago should have been because you had a preconceived notion, and now the characters are saying, uh, no, this is where you need to go, and and you wind up having them, the characters, change a little bit of of your writing, or maybe even a little bit of who you are in order to to achieve that because. You have them to trust them as much as uh, you're, you're trusting somebody down the street who's a, who's a neighbor, because mm-hmm. uh, they've they've come alive for a little while and 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 become something that's going to be uh, helpful to you. So I think that uh, people should try to um, sort of trust what what's being created because it might help you more than you know just sticking to some formula. I, I think that's the reason why sometimes books read. You know, a bit stiff or, or, or a bit a bit lifeless or, or, or formulaic, or, or, or even you know, just just slightly safe is it, because I think those writers didn't open themselves up to listening to the characters, and they just simply stuck with the game plan from day one. And maybe that's not always the best literary thing to do. I think it definitely helps to get started if you have a model to follow, but then you it kind of takes a you know, you kind of develop your own style as you go. And uh, I think the one of the most helpful things to do if you're trying to write um, is to just read a lot. Um, I spent like, I don't know how many years um, 
knowing I wanted to write a book, um, especially a thriller, and I just read every thriller I could just to see different styles, different ways to describe things, um, and I just started to, to think differently when I was writing, and it just kind of, it was research in a way, in a, in a fun way, um, to just learn different styles of writing and how I could apply them to my own style. Um, but at the end of the day, it, you, you kind of have your own style. And that's what I've noticed with my books so far. You know, I just, I don't have a lot of dialogue in my stories and I thought that was going to be an issue. And then, um, you know, it, it just happens to be the style of writing that I do. And, um, and people have been extremely uh, positive about it so far. And I, I'm just like, okay, well, I guess I'll start, I'll stop worrying about this because, um, just because it doesn't look like this other book that I've read, it doesn't mean that, um, it's not uh, exciting or it doesn't keep the mo- the, the story moving ahead. And, um, so it's just interesting to see the styles, uh, that are out there. Yes, and you know sometimes they can be a trap too because you want to tell writers, and I tell them all the time that you need to be reading. It's part of of, of literature and it's part of writing is to read. It helps your mind, it helps your stress levels, and and sometimes it helps you just to see what else is out there. But it can also be a bit of a trap, and you have to just remind writers to not think that that style you're reading and how well it works for you as a reader is is the one that you need to adopt because. The one you need to adopt is the one that you're creating on your own. And that's mm-hmm. not an easy thing to tell people because sometimes people are like, oh, let me go try to do this way. That's working for them. But it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. we got to always keep that in mind that oftentimes the way we see a writer write in, in that particular style, it, it, it's, it's coming from somebody themselves who, who have had to figure out how to get there. So um, if they had to figure out how to get there, you have to figure out how to get there, and you're not going to get to that same style. You have to be able to find your own because it's the one that ultimately you're going to be sticking with for quite some time. That's right. Yeah. I remember asking a few authors um, just questions in the beginning process and getting overwhelmed. And uh, But authors are just they're just regular people, you know, so they – a lot of them were very forthcoming with advice and um, they told me what they did and, you know, it might work for me, it might not. Um, I'd have to find my own path. Um, and I, I just kept hearing that over and over and everybody had a different way and I just started realizing I have to stop um, c- kind of comparing myself to other authors because I'm going to have my own style uh, over time and I just have to write how I feel like it should be written uh, in the best way that I know how and um, and then see what happens after that. You, you really have to. It, it's one of the real, I, I found, uh, downfalls for, for a lot of writers is they're stuck in that sort of thing for a while. And it, it takes a while for them to get out of it and sometimes they don't even listen to other writers about it. It's one of the more common things that I hear about is, is people being stuck in a in a, in a certain style or they, or they have a, a strange insecurity about I just read this, and I, why can't I do that? And you have to learn your own. And maybe it just takes more time than others. I remember telling my mother ah, a long time ago. Lord, I really feel old saying this. But I remember telling my mother, Mom, why can't I write like Aldous Huxley? And all she could tell me was, because you're not Huxley, finish the bologna sandwich and go back to the drawing board. 
I meant that's really <laughs> what she said. And it, it sounds very Italian because, you know, I'm Italian. But the, the, the truth of the matter was, is my mother understood from, from, the, from the get-go that I had to be Mark Anthony Rossi. And the only way I could be Mark Anthony Rossi is stop worrying about Huxley. Yeah. And start worrying yeah. about how to be Mark Anthony Rossi. And, of course, you know, finish my bologna sandwich. But um, <laughs> Of course. She, she was right because it's the kind of advice I needed to hear and it's the kind of advice I continue to give somebody because I, I tell folks, love the other writers. That's great. Don't believe that there's a competition. Still do your own thing. But in the end, you can't be them and you won't be you if you keep worrying about them, you keep eyeing a cross over there, you know, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like being in, 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 a, in a restaurant and you're eating a pork chop and you keep looking at the other guy eating a steak, man, I wish the heck I could have that steak. <laughs> you know, you won't enjoy what's in front of you because you're still worrying about what somebody else has. It's a, it's a bad way to do things because, you know, it's a, I, I find that even when the person isn't doing it for that reason, it becomes corrosive and it becomes almost like a, you know, a cheap version of jealousy. It doesn't do you any 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 good at all. It's not like you're going to pick something up from reading what they did. Yeah, I think I could do this paragraph this way. No, it doesn't really work that way. Mm-hmm. They have they have a, a an entire umbrella of things they put forth because of all the experience and all the stuff they've done. It's what you have to do too. I mean, it's it's a strange way to say it, but. Uh, you know, you have to pay your dues, so to speak, in, in writing to, to get to that point. And the only way to do that is to find what you're about, to make the connections to yourself. You need to know who Michelle is. I need to know who Mark is because in the end, we have no right to ask why we can't connect to the world when we can't even figure out how to connect to ourselves. We need to do yeah. that first. Otherwise, you're trying to run when you haven't even figured out how to walk yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, looking and and reading other works, it can be extremely inspiring, but you can take little pieces of it and apply it to your own projects. But essentially, we all bring uh, different experiences uh, that shape who we are as people and who we're going to be as writers. And you can't really compare that to someone else it's just going to be its own unique voice and i think that's that's awesome that's why there's so many different people writing out there everybody's got something to say um and i think it's awesome that we can uh that we have this this way now this uh self-publishing option that uh, we can do that and share our our passion our our words uh with the world and, and, I, and I think we're doing what we're supposed to do. We just have to make sure that we try to use whatever is out there technological-wise, you know, to get our, our messages across. And and if that if that means, you know, going about it independent, maybe one day somebody else picks us up and, and gives us a contract to do something further, that's wonderful. But to me, that's just a way to help the process out because the process, in many ways, as you heard from my publishing episode. It's quite broken. Um, I mean, I just heard from someone just telling me the other day, and this is well after I did the show, you know, they were speaking to somebody uh, from a Danish author, and, and she was saying how absolutely difficult it was to get anything done, even if you were somebody famous in Denmark, because they literally had guidelines about, well, we want like 
you know, um, this many people following you on Facebook, and we wanted some proof that you can sell this money things and this and that. I mean, they had all these incredible business demands from you, and mm -hmm. you're just a, a, a writer. So it's why I, I tell people, I'm not saying that you need to be a business person, but what I am saying is if you don't have some knowledge about how those folks are thinking, you're not going to get anywhere in that kind of world. It's just going to sit somewhere in somebody's desk, and you're just going to be like, what happened? Do I stink? Am I not good? Do I not connect? And you, you, the most horrible answer of all is uh, no. Uh, just nobody has read it because you got to fill all the other things that they want from you first. 5,000 Facebook followers and, you know what I mean, 700 family members have to agree to buy three copies and, you know, all this nonsense. And yeah. that's why independent publishing, to me, makes a lot of sense because if you're going to go through all that hell, why not do it yourself? Why not keep most of the money that you, you put out and make most of it back instead of giving it to people that don't really care anyway? And why not figure out how to do marketing and have to do it your own way and your own special touch to it? Because you're going to have to do that anyway when you're with these companies because this is some of their demands just to even give you the contract with almost no upfront money. So why not do this? It only makes complete logical sense. We have a free world out there where you can go out there and get it done and deliver it to people. You're just going to have to figure out the rest of your, yourself. But I, I don't really see any problem with that. And I think in the end, with, uh, with these publishing companies, they're, they're going to regret some of the bad practices they have because sooner or later, you know, they're going to come across writers that are doing well and they're going to want to get involved in that and the writers are going to be giving them demands. Well, this is what I want from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen like that one day and they're going to, what? I'm like, yeah, uh -huh. and I got a lawyer over here, so don't try to trick me because he's reading the contract. Yes, yeah, I think uh, you can only be... You know, the more research you do, the more informed you are and the better decisions you're going to make. And, you know, just d designing a cover, just as an example, I must have looked at hundreds of different covers um, before I decided the cover that I wanted. You know, there's an idea as like a creative person, but then you have to look at what's selling in the market and what your competitors are doing and, you know, for the style of book you're doing. And it's just, you know, you want to you want the reader to know right off the bat what your book's about and your cover tells a story on its own. And sometimes people don't, don't pick it up and don't look through it if the cover's not attractive to them um, or doesn't speak to them. So there's all these things to take into consideration. There really, there really yeah. are. And, and we find as we go to the writing world and we live a life that we find that there were certain cliches that have been told to us in Western civilization uh, that either are incredibly correct or in the case of this one, um, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, that's a bunch of crap because people judge books by the covers all the time. Mm -hmm. Not only do I preach this, I just remind writers all the time, please don't put something that looks substandard out. Please don't put something that looks completely different than the story you have. If people feel they get confused, they're not going to be interested. And, I mean, and especially in in the in the area of ebooks, where the cover and the ebook description of what people might purchase, those are the two things they go to. If it doesn't connect, they're moving on to something else. They might be over there Amazon buying a tennis racket, but they're not going to buy your book because mm -hmm. you've done zero to help them understand what you're trying to do. You might only have 10 or 20 seconds to make sure that you've gotten this person 
on your side. And after that, they're gone. They're probably not coming back. So if you only have that kind of time frame involved, you got to have a plan. you got to have something. And it was some of the things we were told in, you know, in our past lives, it turns out to be inaccurate. People do judge the cover. They do. I don't know why people ever said that in the first place because if people are judging you how you look and they're sometimes even judging you on your skin color or even your religion, and I'm not saying any of these things are correct to do, but people do it all the time, why are they not going to judge your book by its cover? It just makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've gotten very, uh, I've gotten really militant about that with, with covers. I just keep telling people it's got to be interesting. You got to be glossy as much as possible. You know, even if it looks a little incongruent with the competition, just as long as it's not out there in space, there's nothing wrong with that. But it, it have to make sure that it's going to be interesting and inviting enough for them to make the to make the sale because that's really what you're doing you're doing a business concept that's called closing the deal your cover and your book description that's what closes the deal and if you don't have that right all that other stuff you've done up to that point might not mean much yeah there's so many different options for for readers out there now um you know they can buy any book they want at, you know on amazon or you know a click of a button um, so what makes your book different? Why would they click on yours? Um, and the first thing they look at is the cover or have they seen it somewhere? So visibility is, is huge. And, um, you know, with Amazon now, you even have the uh, look inside option. So if your first chapter starts off slower um, and you just tell your readers, oh, just just wait till you get to the end, it makes all sense. But at a certain point, are people going to want to read more of it? Um, there's just all these little... There are, and, and, tells, and, yeah. and the answer is no. If you don't start off strong, there's nothing more for them to read. They're not going to get too much more. Why would they want to purchase something when they're like, you know, um, I, I just didn't really feel uh, it was as interesting as the description that suggested. or It just didn't connect to me like the cover did. So even that look inside can, can betray all you've done if you're not being if you're not being careful, it's just really the that really the truth of the matter. I mean, there's just no way to uh, to to guess and to gamble that way. So, in certain instances, even though I preach risk, there's certain things you shouldn't risk. Don't make your chapter slow and corny. Don't make the uh, the cover look like it you know it came out of a, a Crayola factory with a kid doing it. And uh, and don't make the description boring. Or, or, or nonsensical. I, I had a lady, she told me the other day, she goes, Mark, um, what do you think about this description? So I'm reading the description, and then I'm like, well, what's this book about? Well, this book's about autism. And I'm like, okay, uh, why is there nothing about autism in this description? Why is the cover nothing related to that, Ethan? Well, you know, I, I feel kind of weird about that, and I'm not really sure how receptive that should be. I'm like, if your book's about autism, you don't think you should make an announcement this is about autism? Now, I'm not saying you need to be boring or clinical, but you need to mention that because it happens to be, I don't know, 100% of the book. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and especially if something is so specialized like that, it, it can really help you in your keyword search and uh, just to stand out uh, if someone's doing research for that kind of book. So. Um, I, yeah, I you agree. I, to... I, I told her, I said, this wait later stuff, you might not get a later. What's, what do you mean mm -hmm. wait? There's no wait, there's no later. Either you're doing it right now 
or you might not get anything at all happening. Uh, and I go, the description that she wrote, I mean, it was like, I don't know, antiseptic. It just didn't have any spark to it. It certainly didn't mention anything. Uh, and, and if you use these code words like child mental, you know, child developmental, to me, I, I don't really think that that speaks about autism or anything. It just says that, you know, these are children that, you know, that have had some issues with, with, you know, with learning. But that's such a broad spectrum of, of things that could be going on there. Why not zero in what the heck you've done in the first place rather than try to skirt around it? I mean, she didn't strike me as somebody that was embarrassed, but at the same point, she didn't seem to have enough, uh, you know, grit to say, yeah, I wrote a book about autism and this is what it's about and this is what I've dealt with. And this is, I mean, you can't do that. You can't even do that with, because uh, right now, a lot of writers are dealing with the um, the issue with, with genres, that they might have a genre that's in between a couple of things. Well, what should I tell a publisher? If it's a half romance, half psychological thriller, what should I call it, you know? And I'm like, you got to pick something. You can't go around making a genre that doesn't exist because you think it should exist. Because they're going to look at you and go, uh, we have no idea of a track record of this genre because it doesn't exist. you got to pick something that they understand, even if it doesn't cover everything you wrote about. Pick something that is close to it as possible. And then you can explain later in your cover letter or, or, or however you communicate with them, you know, I'm going to, I'm actually going to market it this way, even though I have it in this genre. I'm going to try to market it across the, a couple of places because I, I feel that's where the story is going. And, and that at least is a more of an acceptable answer to them. But I, I, I think one of the hardest things I, I find with writers right now is not that they lack the courage or the patience to be out there. It's that they lack some of the business savvy they need to have to be able to help get that rest of this done. There's a lot of the uh, the business side that I find so interesting, you know, um, the skills you learn, you know, to get your first job, like a good handshake and the the elevator pitch and stuff like that. It's it all comes in handy, um, even in this uh, career. Just how do you, you know, present yourself and how do you stand out and how do you um, market yourself? Um, it's a it's a lot of fun and it's a full circle business um i think it's great to for like for me i really enjoy having my hand in all of it uh it gives me a little bit more control and um i just have a lot more uh creative leeway um on on how the final product's gonna look and i i really enjoy that um to see the the vision come to life essentially And, and that makes you interesting michelle that you find that interesting because most writers including myself as much as i've tried to learn about the business side of things i i find a lot of it boring and i know how writers feel the same way but i go i remind them i I give them my in-law speech i go you probably don't like your in-laws half the times or find them boring but if you found ways to deal with them over your life then you need to find ways to deal with these these business people because their questions even though they might be boring to you they're legitimate if I'm putting money into you, um, you know, author X, why should I believe I'm going to get it back and more? And if you can't give them some kind of reasonable answer to that, why should they just pick you? Why should they just not bypass you to somebody else that can? I mean, they have every right to say that because it's their money. 
you only have a right to say it when it's your money when you're just doing it yourself you can do whatever you want but if you're going to put it in their hands you're going to have to answer questions and, and this is what makes a, a lot of writers either nervous or and makes some of them even give up because they're like you know i could do the draw i could do the story about the dragons but i can't deal with a dragon you know i think uh in my situation just not having the funds there and having this this big push that i i wanted to do this um big dream to do this and i i just had to find a way to do it um you know in a different path than i originally thought but it didn't mean i couldn't um and i think a lot of people can can learn from that too just if you want something enough you can you can find a way to to do it um i i forgot where i was going with this um Sorry. <laughs> that, that's okay. Uh, what I believe you you were going really is you were mentioning the, the, the fact that oftentimes for for a, a writer to, to have a, a, a project, they believe they can they can carry it forth if not only do they believe what's going on, but they also they learned a little bit of that other side because sometimes that, that helps them to, to give them answers on, on how they're going to market it, how they're going to present it to others, maybe even future answers to the next project because it, sometimes it all is interrelated. And I think sometimes with other writers, when they're going through a, a more traditional publishing path, they almost have that, that drop in you know look of, i done it all and I'm just going to drop it in your hands and you figure it out from there. Not realizing that their job is still not done yet. It's only really beginning. And this is what sometimes makes some writers get depressed or maybe even, you know, give up because they're like, I thought I was done already. I took two years to write this novel. Shouldn't I be done? Uh, no, that's not the way it works anymore, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. You're one of those writers that has taken the reins of all the technology and made the best of your circumstances and did something useful and productive and, and even exciting. Some folks that they look at all of that is like too much work, too much responsibility, too much accountability, too much non-art. That's I like to hear that sometimes. Mark, that's a lot mm-hmm. of non-art in this. I'm like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can you can write a book and have it sit there on a shelf and no nobody sees it. Um, you can do that, but I I really wanted to share it. Um, with as many people as I could. And I just, when I started seeing, you know, these books as a product um, and, you know, I have a business now, um, it it just kind of changed my mindset about it. And yeah, I track everything and I approach it differently um, when I speak about it. And, you know, is it, uh, am I, Am I getting back what I'm putting into it um, time-wise and financially as well? Because uh, it's coming from my own pocket and it's just, it, it almost puts a bit more pressure on it that way. Um, just to, uh, you know, is it worth doing? Is it is it uh, sustainable? Um, and is there still enjoyment of it? And for me, absolutely. I just really enjoy every aspect of, of the business, the marketing, uh, the writing, Um all of it is, I think, uh, you know, you do it at different stages and they all have their, uh, their challenges and they just, it just keeps me, uh, interested in the project throughout. Well, I, I definitely appreciate you coming on here, Michelle, and, and giving us a, a really good, uh, 
uh, inner look, you know, as well as as well as an external look of how to put these books together, what it what it takes, what you've gone through. Uh, people need to hear this uh, countless times and and hear it from different different venues and different places around the world because the more they hear it, the more they understand about if this is what they want to do. Because I, I mean, I get accused of that a lot, and I don't I don't really care. It doesn't really bother me. Well, Mark, it just seems like you're just trying to separate the people who want to stay to the people who don't. I'm like, I'm not doing this show to separate anybody. I'm doing this show to bring people together, reader and writer, and, and writer and writer. But if a person learns through everything that you talked about, that maybe this is not for them, we're doing them a service just as much as the ones that are passionate about Man, Michelle really got me going over here. I thought I was excited. Now I'm really excited from what she had to say because I can relate to this and I can do that. And, and we should be doing both of those things. Sure, we, we, we should be really helping the people who want help and, 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 and want to go out there and do it. And we should also be helping the people that uh, maybe this is not really what they should be doing. And, and, and that's better for them to, to not do something that they shouldn't do. I, and I, I agree on that. But it's not a purpose of, of the show to do so. It is it is a purpose though to help educate as much as possible, you know, writers about what's out there and what, what has to be done. I mean, and the path you've taken, some have taken and and didn't do well because they just didn't put the, you know, the the plan into place, so they just didn't have the follow through, you know. And others just want to go the other route and just hope that you know they hit the lottery, so to speak, because that's almost as bad as it, hitting a lottery, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, unfortunately, so. You have to really be uh, passionate about it, and and I really think that uh, folks like you uh, help others to see that it, it it is worth the time and and even the expense. If you could do something, you know, efficiently and, and wisely, yeah, you can you can uh, turn a, a profit. Yeah, you can make it into a, a bit of a business, and and yeah, you can still call yourself a, a writer. There's nothing wrong with any of that. And it's just not one way to go. I mean, what you're doing is, is different than other people will do. Just like the writing style, well, there's different ways to get it out to the market as well. There's not one way. So if somebody can listen to this and say, I have a better idea to do it this way, that's great. Go do that then. I don't think that there's only one way out there. I, I'm convinced yeah. that there are many ways. And there's probably all ways that we haven't even thought of yet out there that we just haven't figured out yet that people will do. And we hope that we're becoming a... You know, a bit of a kick, you know, in, in you know, in the butt, so to speak, to you know, to get out there and discover yourself and discover the world and and discover what can what can be done because it can be done, but what I feel can't be done is is putting something in the hands of strangers and waiting a couple of years for them to give you an answer. To me, I, I don't think that's that's the best thing to do. I mean, if people still do it, and I'm not going to go around and tell them don't do it. I'm just saying for myself and for others I know. It doesn't feel like the best productive amount of time. And I'm older, so I don't know how long I have left. I, don't, I guarantee I don't have two years left listening to somebody tell me no. I'd rather do something with those two years that I say yes. You know, that, that's me. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe if you're 25 or something, maybe you can afford to wait five or six years for some novel to get published. But to me, with all the tools that we have and all the things that can be done, you, know, you can hit the ground running. And then maybe later on get picked up by somebody, which is what it's being done all the time, you know. So it's not an unusual thing. I'm not talking some pipe dream over here. So I, I feel it's that's really the better path. But again, it is up to a person and the choices they make. We just try to do the best we can to 
you know, to help them make some some better choices and, and become, you know, better writers. And you're definitely on the on the right path in what you're doing. And and I'm I'm so grateful that you you came on and to shared all this stuff because this is the kind of things that we need to hear more about. We really do. No, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So keep us in mind. Um, maybe next year when you have another book out, we certainly like to interview again. It doesn't mean like this is the only interview you're going to have with the show and that's it. Oh, we done Michelle already. We don't really think <laughs> that way. You know, we just think that, you know, another project comes along we should talk to you about. Who knows what new ideas you're going to have and new experiences as well as, as a new book. So it, it keeps things fresh even if you're the same author six months later. It'll be interesting and, and informative like it's been here. Thank you very much, Michelle, for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. And, folks, thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to, to live and to learn from what we're trying to do over here because, as you can see, it's a task, but it, it's not an impossible task. It's just it's just a, a bit of a, in, involved. you got to have a few steps with it, but it's entirely doable, and, and you can be entirely successful. Until next time, folks, this is Mark Anthony Rossi, Strength to be Human. Good night and God bless. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com.